Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. I have the distinct honor today of having as my first guest, Sheriff Patty Cole Tindall, who is appointed uh, to become the sheriff, I think it was uh, May 6th. She had been the interim sheriff since November of 2021. So uh, Sheriff uh, uh, Cole Tindall, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. I'd like to start out with uh, just having you tell the people a little bit about your background, where you grew up, where you went to school, stuff like that, so they'll know who you are. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. And um, so let me just say a little bit about who I am. Um, Patty Cole Tyndall, I am now the sheriff of King County. I just want to say I'm the 35th sheriff. I'm the first black sheriff for King County. And of course, the first black female sheriff for King County. So um, just wanted to put that out there because I do, it's not lost on me that this is a moment that has not happened um, previously. So I am over, uh, have over 30 years of public service, some of it in law enforcement, some of it out. I actually um, just recently, well, 2015, I returned to law enforcement. So I had five years in the beginning of my career, attended the academy. With that, I was a special agent with the Washington State Gambling Commission came to King County in 1998, served in a number of capacities here. Uh, Notable would be in 2010, executive council team. He uh, appointed me as the labor director for the county. In that role, uh, my office was responsible for all collective bargaining. Uh, Most county employees here are in a union, all but a thousand are not. And uh, I also ran the Office of Law Enforcement Oversight. And that's what really gave me um, into the King County Sheriff's Office and then Sheriff John Urquhart at that time said, you know, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I want you to come work for me. And at that time I thought, wow, I could end my career, my public service career um, as I started it in law enforcement. So I, I did let him know I was interested. And in October of 2015, I joined the sheriff's office as a division chief. And let me just say um, a little bit about that. When I was brought in, I was brought in and um, elevated to division chief, which was a position that 35 other people um, felt that they should have been considered for. So it it was a difficult entry into the sheriff's office and I had my work cut out for me, but I, I proved myself. I came in, I learned the agency, I proved my worth and showed folks that I was here to contribute. And uh, so I was a division chief for about five years. Then I also was asked to be the undersheriff. I was appointed by the last sheriff as the undersheriff. And then the voters of King County changed uh, and decided that they no longer wanted an elected sheriff and they wanted an appointed sheriff. And so uh, Sheriff Mitzi Johantnik, her term ended in December of 21, and Executive Constantine appointed me as the interim uh, sheriff. And I will say at that time, I wasn't going to apply. I mean, with the various interviews I had, I said, look, I am good with the number two spot. I am not going to apply to be the sheriff. But uh, as I took over and we started to do the work to rebuild relationships, I would say with the community, with council, with the executive, but also within the agency, that I was getting a lot of support and people asking me, wouldn't I reconsider? Because I was exactly who we needed, who this agency needed to move us forward. And so right before the closing date, I decided I let the executive know I'm going to apply and I threw my name in the ring. I was one of the finalists and then I was appointed in May, as you said. So uh, it's been um, a good 30-year career. Uh, I am excited, though, about the next few years, because obviously we have a lot of work to do here in the sheriff's office. Why don't you share with us uh, where you're from, where you went to high school, where you went to college, things like that? Yeah, of course. So um, I am a military brat. My dad is retired Air Force, and we moved here in 1981. Uh, It was the year after Mount St. Helens erupted. I remember that because we were like, oh, no, we're moving to that place with the volcano. Uh, So we moved here. I went to Clover Park High School. I was a junior in high school when we moved here, which is not easy moving in the middle of your junior year. Um, But uh, finished, uh, graduated in uh, 1982 
And then I went to Central, Central Washington University. I got my undergraduate degree there in public relations and I uh, business administration. And then um, I got married, moved to Europe. My husband was an officer in the army and we were in Germany. And while I was there, I received my master's degree from a university called Troy State University, which they have them on military bases and professors that are on sabbatical come and teach at the various bases in Europe. I was in class with pilots and other officers, but I was the only spouse, but uh, received my master's degree in public administration. So uh, that's a little bit about my formal education. And then the fact that, you know, I was, I'm, I was born in France. Um, my dad met my mom when he was stationed there and we moved somewhat, but didn't move a lot. And basically my family, my parents are still with me, thank goodness. And we um, just, they stayed here and this is where I've been and raised my children. What are some of the uh, major challenges you have as being the sheriff? We know that there was a very contentious relationship between law enforcement and a lot of people upset about uh, the unlawful law enforcement. And the most egregious case that was videoed was the George Floyd situation. Uh, we saw in Seattle where it, it looked as though uh, the leaders of the city threw their hands up and just turned police precincts over uh, to the people, so to speak. So I was just wondering, uh, what, how do you perceive moving forward in uh, rebuilding this trust? I'm not saying it's not already there because we have people that I communicate with regularly, like Reverend Harriet Walden. I hope you know her. Yes, I do. Uh, police accountability. And she's part, like, when it comes down to police reform and that kind of thing, I lean on Reverend Harriet Walden because she is my mentor and my leader when it comes down to uh, uh, police uh, community relations. Well, thank you for that question, because I do think it's an important one. And as law enforcement, we certainly need to uh, rebuild and gain the trust of the community. And as you indicated, with the um, when George Floyd was murdered and, and everyone here, every officer saw that and said, that is appalling. We were not, we are not trained that way. I mean, clearly what happened should not have happened. And subsequently, the community, I mean, there was already distrust, but the community as a whole, I think, um, started to distrust police more. And with the subsequent protests that happened, right, that was a difficult summer for everybody. And the relationship between law enforcement and the community certainly um, declined from there. So, so I see my responsibility as rebuilding gaining public trust and how I see doing that. I mean, for me, it's about working with the community. First of all, being in the community, meeting with the community, being transparent about what we do. And uh, we currently have dashboards on our website that have our uses of force, as well as our internal affairs investigations. All that material is there for people to look at. That's a form of transparency. We embrace oversight the King County Office of Law Enforcement Oversight. We'll talk a little bit about hopefully these audits that came out the uh, past few weeks that said that officers here uh, basically stop or use force on black and brown people more than others, more than, um, than white people and Asian people. So those are all challenges. The other challenge um, is staffing. I am down you know, 120 deputies. So when I'm thinking about my responsibility, which is, you know, the RCW, the, the, the law, state law says I'm the keeper of the peace in the county. Well, I got to have people to be able to do that. And, uh, you know, with the gun violence and just crime on the uptick, we have fewer police officers out there. And we know that officer presence is a deterrent to crime. It doesn't mean it gets rid of it, but it is a deterrent. And so we are working really, really hard to try to, uh, A, retain the good people I do have, but also recruit people who will want to come to this agency. But I will note that it's nine months, nine months, it's the same time to have a baby, uh, before what somebody we hire is able to go out on the street and do the work on their own. So that's a long process. And then they still have a probation period that they serve for a year after that. So it's a lot, right? It's a long period of time. Um, 
police reform. Uh, we, I will say here at the King County Sheriff's Office, many of the laws that were passed in, in 21, that took effect in 21, stemmed from our own policy. We have always been a leader, as has SPD, in what I would say are policies that maybe some other law enforcement agencies um, find too restrictive. But I really believe we needed some of the police reform legislation. I do think some of it went too far because it took away our ability to stop, apprehend, deal with people in crisis. So I do think there should be some, the pendulum needs to move back, but not back to where it was. So I recognize and appreciate the need for police reform, but that's another challenge that we have here because my folks every day go out and try to keep our communities safe. And then some cases they cannot because the law prohibits them from interacting or engaging or the, the, the jails don't take them or the prosecutor doesn't charge on the person. But I am all about this. I really think we need to figure out what is the source? Why is somebody committing a crime in the first place? Is it because they don't have food? Is it they don't have you know their basic needs met? Or is it just because they're going to commit crimes and they know, A, we don't pursue them anymore? Yeah. And there's no well, sanction. Sheriff, you know, what I'd like to say is that uh, I really think, and I suggest this to, the, to uh, the chief of police of Seattle SPD, I think it's really, you know, when you're talking about and bonuses to get people to sign up. And I really think that Joint Base Lewis McCord, and you have with a military family yourself, I think that's a prime focus for people who are disciplined, but they do have some proud boys and smoke keepers in the military. We have to understand that too. But I really think that, I, that the focus on those folks who are trained, and I mean, uh, a twenty-five making $7,500,000, all the soldiers in Fort, and down in Fort Lewis will go for that. So, uh, but I'll tell you one thing, I want to make sure that uh, uh, this uh, program will be available for you if something comes up that you want to get out to the community, get out to the public, because okay. uh, like I said, you've been around for quite a while. Yes. We want to give you every opportunity to succeed. We want to work with you as a partner. But I really think people are missing out on a recruitment opportunity because uh, somebody's been making one or two thousand dollars a month. All of a sudden, you say, "Here's twenty-five grand, and you can make a hundred thousand a year with overtime." They will jump all over that. And there's some people I don't think you have to work that hard with. You got to be careful with the screening process. Yes. Like I said, there yes. are a lot of sympathizers, for, uh, mega sympathizers, oath keepers, and proud boys yeah. that have that leaning. And we saw that not only in the military, but we saw that on a construction site. Uh, a couple of weeks ago in Redmond, Washington, at a building being built for Facebook, where a black man had a noose hung over his workstation, and it hung there for six hours. And uh, rep luckily, Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos, I've contacted the, the powers that be at Facebook to say, yeah, you can say it's the union, it's the union guy, or the construction company, but you're the owner. And right now, we have to stop having these owners including the county and the city and Department of Transportation, Sound Transit, Port, all of them, they, they're the owners. They have to enforce the law, just like you have to enforce the law in terms of crime. They have to enforce the law in terms of opportunity. Now, uh, like I said, I'd like to have you on frequently. I was hoping that uh, uh, Detective Cookie would be on the line. I, you probably know her already, but- I know her, yes. Okay, that's good. So, yes. uh, so, so and I appreciate what you said about the military. You are right. I say this, two things. These people in the military know how to get to work on time and they know how to follow instructions. Those are two good things that we can use. And like you said, the pay that we have, I mean, but I'm not going to uh, sugarcoat it. It is dangerous work, but the military can be dangerous too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're absolutely right. Well, Sheriff uh, Cole Tindall, I really thank you for giving us your time today introducing to my my listening audience and yes. uh like i said they can hear this the rest of the week on my podcast and also on alexa and uh, as things develop we'll have you back on so we certainly appreciate you thank you can i just say one last thing Go right ahead so ours we do have a signing bonus ours is only fifteen thousand for a lateral but seventy five hundred for an entry so like these people in the military that have never been a police officer um and we offer every single deputy a five thousand dollar referral bonus for every person they refer. So a current deputy, if they referred five people, can get $25,000. What so, about if Eddie Rye goes and get recruits? Um, you know what? I'm <laughs> would, I get, would I get that much money? 
Somebody mentioned to me, well, why don't you have a referral bonus for the uh, public? I said, well, I'm going to look into that. Yeah, I think you need to look into it. I have no problems going down there and meeting with some of the brothers and sisters in the military who want to do the right thing and get paid. Okay. So thank uh, you. Okay. Thank you very much. So okay. uh, Eric, we'll see you Good again day. real soon. Okay. Thank you, uh, Sheriff. We appreciate Good. you. Bye. Eric, we'll take a break and come back with our next guest after this, please. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150. Okay, Eddie, right back. We're having a couple of little difficulties here, but we will be getting it together. But first of all, I want to say that I had the distinguished pleasure and honor of meeting Ramon Bryant Braxton, who was the artistic director and the conductor for the sensational, fantastic, outstanding uh, Juneteenth celebration. And it was called uh, Songs of Black Folk, Music of Resistance and Hope. And it will be, uh, uh, video will be available soon as being, also right now it's being uh, edited. So uh, also I want you to, to uh, remember, uh, if you look at the facts today, you'll see where uh, Joe Staten, the distinguished leader of CAY and outstanding person and athlete will be funeralized at the end of the, of the uh, month of July 30th, I would say. And then Brenda Foss, uh, who is uh, the mother of, uh, of uh, Erica Frost, Lavelle Frost, Omar and uh, uh, Jamil, and uh, their father is George Frost. So her service will be uh, on uh, Friday, July 1st. No, that's the viewing, Friday, July 1st. Her service will be on July 2nd. Uh, it will be at a church in Federal Way, and I will give you that information later. It's the Christ the King Bible Study, 355-448-11th Avenue, Southwestern Federal Way. My condolences go out to that family. Also is the sister of my good friend, Curtis Wells, and uh, the, the kid's dad is George Frost. Uh, do we have uh, Claude on? Claude, uh, I appreciate you coming on, brother. Claude Burfick is on with us right now. He attended uh, the Poor People's Campaign uh, back in D.C. last weekend. And so why don't you just share with our listeners uh, exactly how that went down, Claude? Uh, Eddie, we had uh, uh, the Poor People's Campaign uh, was is a campaign actually started back in 1967 with Dr. King. Uh, this uh, program or, or campaign was supposed to start initially in 1968, uh, but Dr. King was assassinated. And his wife, Coretta King and uh, Reverend Abernathy continued uh, the Poor People's Campaign, and this has been going on since 1967. This year, uh, 
they had between uh, closely around 150,000 people that participated in the uh, uh, Poor People's Campaign this year in Washington, D.C. Uh, also in Washington, D.C., what I didn't understand, but now that I know that there was, uh, there is actually about 140 million people in America that is in poverty. And this is one of the issues that they were discussing uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, we had uh, uh, not only Dr. Bernice King, which is uh, Dr. King's daughter and CEO of King, uh, Center, uh, we had Reverend uh, Barber that spoke at both events, which was one was on fr that Friday uh, at the Freedom Plaza, and he spoke at the convention at the Capitol. Uh, it was one heck of an event, man. They had numerous testimonies there uh, on that uh, initial day, which was the 18th, Juneteenth. They had celebrated the Juneteenth. Um, and actually the program lasted, uh, about five hours. And, uh, we also had Dr. Cornell West who spoke at that event. Uh, the event basically centered around, and what we talked about is that we demand voting rights for all in, uh, systemic racism uh, we talked about housing for all, health care for all, uh, and uh, that you know there were several major topics that they discussed at that uh, uh, at that convention. Um, so it was a great day. The weather was great, and uh, I appreciate Dr. Barber because uh, he is an eloquent speaker. And uh, let me tell you. Uh, People just gathered there just to hear him. Now, let me, uh, I'm gonna put it, uh, indicate this as well. There were four TVs, big TV screens. A lot of them were for elders who were unable to stand and uh, uh, participate in the event uh, for the five hours. So it was an event and let me, uh, they had it set up perfect where you had enough uh, uh, space, you had uh, uh, enough porta potties. That was a, a, a main issue there, but it was a very, very eventful uh, event. And uh, I appreciated it. And I was glad that I went to, uh, uh, to this event. Yeah, uh, now Claude, let's move on to the, the other subject where we, had, we were in attendance at a meeting yesterday on behalf of uh, uh, Black Carpenter, uh, James uh, uh, Myers, and it was an overwhelming turnout of support for him. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Representative Santos, uh, in a conversation with her who attended the meeting yesterday, said that the, the owners have to be held responsible. We can't allow for a contractor to allow their employees to engage in racist acts. And, uh, you know, uh, this not, not only happened on uh, James Myers' uh, uh, site, but also about six months ago, according to Roberto Jordan, there was also a news found at a North End Seattle Fire Department station. So there seems to be uh, all of a sudden a rash of hate coming up. And uh, the MAGAs need to know they're not in power anymore. As a matter of fact, some of them might be going to jail. So would you just share with our listeners uh, some of the folks who were in attendance and kind of encapsulate that? Uh, yeah, the NAACP was in attendance. I know that uh, uh, Jamal Middlebrook, uh, the, uh, uh, he was one of the organizers for the Carpenters Union. Uh, there was several individuals, prominent individuals that are a part of the trades uh, uh, here in the area, uh, that's a part of ARPAC. And um, uh, they gathered, I, I, roughly there was about uh, 30 or 40 people that were in attendance yesterday that was in support of this young man. 
And I know Representative Sanchez made a comment, but I would like to really expound on that comment that she made regarding uh, this young man and uh, what he had gone through. One of the things that she had indicated was that owners need to be held accountable. Uh, and I actually believe, and I, I know for sure, owners need to be, and they need to be stiffly fined for activities uh, of this nature. And uh, uh, this would at least put some pressure on not only the owners knowing that I'm being fined for some things that these, my, uh, these folks are doing, these union folks are doing, and they can put a stop to it. I know that we need to also pass some legislation that will also uh, eliminate these hate crimes and these types of uh, uh, um, crimes on the job, you know. Um, I feel like this young man uh, uh, has been victimized, and not only him, but there's so many other these young kids. I've talked to these young kids. And uh, they're saying uh, uh, a, a lot of them are being discouraged to even complete the apprenticeship programs. A lot of them uh, are saying that they go through similar stuff like this and that they don't really uh, want to be a part of it. So this is something that has been done on numerous occasions. A lot of it has not been. Uh, uh, we don't know about a lot of the incidents that have occurred, but we need to do something about it. And I know that the NAACP is going to actually look into this so that we can at least uh, uh, try to work and get, get these types of hate crimes out of the workplace. We don't need this, ma'am. And this has been uh, a practice uh, for quite a while, and a lot of our kids, like I said, do not want to be a part of it. And they talk about this constantly that we are being harassed. My son is a part of the trades. And he says that, uh, yeah, this happened. But you have to at least let these folks know. Uh, hey, uh, I... This, you know, uh, this is not, don't come to me with that. And just let them know uh, that I'm, I'm not here, I'm here to work. I'm not here to uh, be discouraged or anything. And you don't know me, so I'm not going to be a part of your game plan. So, I, I mean, we have to do something about it, Eddie. We definitely have to do something. Well, you know, Clive, what I did do is uh, when I got the, the picture of the noose, I did send it to like uh, the county executive, Dow Constantine, the mayor, Bruce Harrell, the congressman, Adam Smith, the congressman, uh, uh, congresswoman, Marilyn Strickland. And they all, uh, you know, it, it, it pretty much had the same statement, how disgusting it was and unacceptable it was. But, uh, I, you know, I, I, I represent the Santos. The owners have got to take responsibility. You know, no longer can you point the finger at a contractor when a racist incident occurs on that contractor's job. And a matter of fact, uh, on Tuesday, uh, I couldn't believe this. I went to a funeral at a black church and a company by the name of Prime Construction was hosting an event on church property and, and, and didn't have one black face in the crowd. Now I have nothing against the Latinos who were there. They was also at a Mariachi band plan. And I'm just saying is that we have a responsibility. When people don't hire our people, we can't work with them. And uh, so I'm gonna check and see on some of these. I want everybody else to start taking notice of these publicly funded contracts. If you don't see a black person on there, make the call to somebody to make sure that we have advocates out there. But as you, I hear you too, Claude, about the harassment these young folks are facing, we have to deal with that as well. Oh, Eddie, can I make one other comment here? And BMB, my understanding is that it is not a union organization. And uh, and I'm uh, uh, and I know that this young man is a part of the carpenters union, but this company is not a union company. And uh, my question also is, 
who is signing, uh, who was signing that young man's track, you know. So uh, when we are non-union, a lot of stuff like this happen and they can get away with it. Uh, uh, so that was my understanding. And when I did a little research yesterday, I found out that BMB is not a union uh, company. So that's something that we also need to look into as well. Well, like I said, I, I still think that the owners have got to, I agree with Representative Santos, the owners have got to be responsible. Uh, they've got to be responsible because uh, they're paying the way for the contractor. And uh, if these folks uh, keep practicing, these keep involved and engaging in discriminatory practices, there gotta be a point uh, where these owners have got to say no and we've got to put, uh, I mean, I'm driving up and down uh, I-5 and 405 and all the construction. I think I've seen one black face and that was on I-90 on a sound transit job. So, I mean, uh, uh, they said, oh yeah, well maybe blacks are just working in invisible positions, invisible like not being there. So uh, as a member as a, uh, on the King County uh, Labor, and that's all the thing too, I wanna mention that Larry Brown and April Sims also got a copy of the news and I did get a response from, uh, from Larry Brown's office uh, as well as a couple of others. But uh, what can be done to ensure that our folks don't face this kind of, this kind of problem? Now we said B&B is not a union company. Uh, there's been nooses, as a matter of fact, uh, one gentleman, uh, he was on a, the University of Washington Sound Trent, this was many years ago. He got laid off and the foreman had a swastika on his hand. So we know that it's embedded in there because, you know, we go back to the 80s with Ty, 60s, 70s, 80s with Tyree Scott, uh, when we got had to get a, a, a federal court order, a court order from Judge Lindbergh, I think it was a federal district court, uh, for five building trade unions to admit Blacks. And it didn't say, I said Blacks. And right now, you don't hardly see any Blacks out there. And I think a lot of it has to do with what you're saying in terms of the hostile work environment. That has got to stop. And the owners have got to be like right now, for example, I don't think that there's any monitoring done on, on various public contracts because when I-200 was misapplied and misrepresented, a lot of people felt like they had no longer had to do any oversight or any site visits. As a matter of fact, it's my understanding, a lot of the prime contractors told uh, public site visit people from the city, county, and state and other entities to go back to where they came from. And that's just totally unacceptable. Yeah, but also when you look at the Tyree Scott era, we had quite a few black contractors. Now today, uh, uh, these bigger or larger companies uh, have taken that away from us because, okay, we are subcontracting. And in the meantime, uh, they're not paying us on time so that we can pay our employees on time, which is why we now maybe have maybe 10 black uh, uh, contracting companies in, in the city now, you know? So they that's a form of discrimination right there as well, you know? So um, we need to at least do some serious, and as a matter of fact, when you talked about it yesterday, you said something about a press conference. We need to at least expose and make sure that, uh, uh, and I know that a lot of folks know about this, but we need to at least have a press conference and let these folks know that we are not playing and we're taking this very, very seriously. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's one of the things that you had indicated and that's, and, and that's one of the things that I believe that need to happen today. You know, uh, we need to have a press conference on this and let these folks know that we are tired and we're not gonna take this no longer. Yeah, we're not gonna- well, There was an article uh, that I seen in uh, the Seattle Times and also there's an article uh, in the Seattle Medium newspaper. Uh, so people are picking it up and I've also heard it on a, a couple of other radio stations where they mentioned this, because it is a very egregious kind of act. So we do have uh, the president of the United Black Christian Clergy on the line, uh, who was the, uh, uh, James Massey was one of his students. And that's uh, uh, Reverend uh, Lawrence Willis. Reverend Willis, you on? Yes, sir. 
Okay, yeah. So we just wanted you to do a little, a little overview since you, uh, the gentleman, went through your uh, program. If you could just share a, a little bit about that with us, we certainly would appreciate it. Okay. Um, I don't know where you want me to start, but um, the young man. Well, Claude covered, Claude covered the press conference. We'll have to talk about that. If you could just talk about his efforts, what he did to, to go through the pre-apprenticeship program and then become almost close to being a journeyman before he got the news incident. Okay. Yeah. The, the young man was an awesome young man and his desire was to get into the trades and, and to, uh, he didn't know if he wanted to be labor carpenter, but uh, he went through our pre-apprenticeship program and he gravitated to uh, being a carpenter. And so as a carpenter, he went through our uh, pre-apprenticeship program at the Seattle Vocational, now the McKinney Center. And he uh, graduated our program, uh, excellent young man, uh, then went to the uh, carpenter's apprenticeship program and excelled there and just graduated about two weeks ago, and now is a journeyman carpenter. Well, that's what we need to hear. Uh, we definitely needed to hear that. Let's see, I, th I thought we had a Detective Cookie on the line. Uh, you know, they're building a park for her. I hope, so. hopefully, oh, we do have her. Detective Cookie. Yes, hi. How you doing? I want to say, first of all, congratulations. And uh, Reverend Willis got some contractors to build your park. So we understand you're going to have a, a chess park. Uh, you, you've been doing a lot of good work. So we don't have as much time as I'd like to because we have so many technical problems getting together. But why don't you just take a couple minutes and talk about the uh, the chess, how you came up with the idea, and what's what's what do you have on the on on the horizon? Okay, I'm outside as well, and it's kind of noisy out here. So I started the chess club in, in 2006. The year before, my supervisor wanted me to together something for the community youngster so what i did i put together a basketball game with the teenagers and they got to play police officers now these police officers some of them was straight out of college you know they used to play on their college basketball team and uh, they were pretty good they had their own little semi little team where they played other police officers and firefighters so got some of them together we played this game at the Rainier Community Center. And it was going well. The police was winning. They were doing a real good job. Then halftime came. And once those teenagers got back out there, they was full of energy. They never got tired. The officers, they had worn themselves out. They barely could make it back up the court. And so the kids, they end up winning that game. And it was just so much fun. They got to see officers in a different capacity. Um, the following year, my supervisor wanted me to do something again. So since that worked and that was a lot of fun, I uh, decided to do that again. But when I came to the teenagers and, and told them we're going to do another basketball game, they they told me they didn't want to do another basketball game and that they're not just about basketball. And so I asked them, I said, well, what would you like to do? And one or two raised their hands and said, how about a chess tournament? And now in my head, I can't play chess. Don't like the game. It's hard for me to learn it when I try. I actually didn't think I was smart enough for chess. Chess is for real smart people. And that was my mentality. And so I told them, okay, even though I couldn't do it. I said, okay, we'll do that. And so I had the Seattle Parks Department. They gave me a few chess boards and we played at one of the local chess parks. I'm not chess park, one of the local Seattle parks. And the kids said they were ready and they were gonna do this. So when we got the tournament started, only about two kids knew how to play chess. The other 20-something just stood around and watched. And I'm asking them, why did you guys say you want, a, you want a chess tournament if you don't know how to play chess? They didn't have an answer for that. And so I just was looking at them and I'm saying, good thing I had some connect fours and those kind of games out as well. But 
just looking at the kids with a desire to play chess and they didn't know how, but in my head, they really wanted to. They wanted to learn how to play chess. So I wanted to fix that problem. So I asked them if I was to start a chess club, would they come? About 20 something said, yes, we will come. And, and so what I did, I got a few, some, a little funding from the Seattle Foundation and also from the Seattle Police Foundation to buy some chess boards and to hire an instructor because I didn't know how to play. And so- Detective Cookie. Yeah. You know, we had a technical difficulty. We need to have you back on to have the, hear the whole story, but we are really, we are out of time today. Oh no. But I'm on every Thursday now. Okay. So anytime I need to get you on, on the right time because I had your time designated. But I want to thank okay. you and I want to thank Claude Burfick and Pastor Ricky Willis. Uh, we have to take a break. So if you want to come back next week and talk some more, we can do that, man. I do. I okay. want to come back. Okay, now, now you got the, the correct link, uh, Zoom uh, uh, link, so you should be able to get on with no problem. So we'll continue the discussion next week. All righty. I'll okay. see everybody next Thursday. All right, now you sure will. Okay, uh, Eric, let's take this break and come back with... Uh, Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Wherever you go, Alternative Talk 1150 is here for you. But my next guest is a superstar by the name of Dre's, and he has a big performance coming up, and he's been doing some fantastics around the city for a long time. And even though he is in L.A., he is very mobile because he's in Seattle right now, I believe. If not, he'll be here Saturday so uh, welcome to Urban Forum once again, nephew. And why don't you bring our listeners up to date on what's going to be happening on July 2nd. All right. Hey, Papa Rye. I am, um, I am in Seattle. Just landed today. So I'm happy to be here um, on July 2nd at the Collective in downtown Seattle. I am doing an event called the Dean Dindi. Right. So Dean Dindi in Zimbabwe or in Shona language, which is from Zimbabwe, it means party. So we gonna party. I wanted to bring a African experience, something really different to the Northwest. So we've got um, food being provided by Mojito, which is a, a black owned restaurant out of the North End. So Mojito will be doing food. Um, we've got DJ Lace Cadence, who is on KXP as their, their number one Afrobeat DJ. So he's gonna be spinning Afrobeat music, Zimbabwean music, I'm a piano music, 
Um, it's just going to be like a beautiful black experience. I can't think of a better way to celebrate Black Independence Day because that's what we 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 still celebrating Black Independence. Um, so that's what we're going to celebrate on this Fourth of July weekend. And then, of course, I'm going to hit the stage and give people a sneak preview of my upcoming album titled African American. So I'm looking forward to it. That's great. Would you share with our listeners some of uh, the other stuff that you've recorded and some of the places where you performed? Um, so doing a lot of recording. So I recently won an Emmy Award and the Emmy Award was for a theme song that I wrote for um, the, the Converge Morning Show. So I wrote a song called Seattle's Own that was used as their morning show. Um, in addition to that, I've been writing for a lot of shows. I have over 200 placements on shows like The Masked Singer, ESPN Sports Center, NFL Network, um, Love and Hip Hop. I just did Black Ink. Um, if you go to Netflix right now, Snoop Dogg just released a new comedy special. Well, coming out the gate when he first comes out on stage, that's my song that he comes out to. So um, Inventing Anna on um, Netflix. I mean, it's, you know, it's a whole lot of shows, man. So I've been blessed to have the opportunity to write music for some of your favorite television shows. And um, man, it's just been awesome. It, it sounds like it. Eric, do we have anything by Dre's? What is the name of that one that you use on Converge Media? Uh, Seattle Long. Mike by the white Samoji diamonds for the wedding ring. I don't understand those who don't support their own. I can tell you what I'm on, but you probably wouldn't know I'm different with mine. Watch came from Tally and Twine. Freshly fitted from Katula. I shop Zuvo online, ladies. Why go to Asians when you can go down to powder? Wigs from there. When there's royal strands here, I need you Leave that Victoria's Secret dead for that savage Fenty. Matter of fact, a couple pairs. Nah, this ain't no trend. Black business, how I live. From my wife to the kid, whole squad know what it is. I bank for one united. I stream that's a good, that's a, There you go. That's him, y'all. So now if they go to uh, Alexa or to uh, uh, your power, how can they, uh, people access your, your music like right now? So you can go anywhere that music streams, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, and there's music up there. You can always follow me um, across most platforms. I am the Dre's Experience or just Dre's Experience. And by Dre's is D-R-A-Z-E and Experience. So if you look that up, find me, the music is there. Um, but if you just go on Spotify, just look at Dre's, D-R-A-Z-E, you'll find it all there. I will have to ask you because, you know, we've been hearing about a lot of shootings at uh, nightclub kind of venues and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, have you had any kind of experience like that anywhere you played? You know what? No, I have not. Thank God. You know, like sometimes people like to act like, well, well, I'd love to say it's because what I put out there is positive energy and all these other things. Maybe, I don't know, but it could happen anywhere. You know what I mean? Like two people see each other who have a beef or something like that. You know, it could happen at any point, but thank God it hasn't. And I do believe, um, like we used to throw parties back in the day. And I'll tell you this, there was a psychology to how we ended the night. So if we ended the night with like some gangster rap or hip hop, some would definitely pop off or have a better chance of a fight or a shooting or something like that. Um, but when we would, we started ending all of our club nights with like R&B and old school with the on at the end of the night, some Teddy Pendergrass, something that you're like, wait, what's that doing? Well, we know what we was doing. We was trying to cool out the vibe and the mood. And every time we did that, it smoothed things out and there was really never a problem. So that became kind of a tactic that a lot of us used to try to quell the, uh, the issues. So, well, you know, uh, that maybe that's something that somebody can pick up and use uh, in the future when they have these venues to have some of my music on that was <laughs> peaceful about romance, and chasing and trying to catch instead of catching bullets and popping somebody. You know, hey, so, I'm trying to bring it back. I'm bringing it back through hip hop, though. I'm going to bring if you listen to the content, the one you guys just heard was building black wealth. It was about supporting black owned businesses and how you can spend your money. Um, I've got music about a whole lot of things and not one of them is about shooting and nothing like that. Like all of it is about, a lot of it is conscious and we're talking about issues going on today, but for me, more so issues that impact black people, right? Like that's who I am. So I can't really speak to nobody else's issue. That's yours. 
I want to talk to my people about what we going through and how we endure what we face here in this country. Can you once again share uh, your upcoming event on Saturday, July 2nd? Uh, Saturday, July 2nd, down at the Collective Seattle. I will be performing. It is the Dean Dean D. If you want to hear a sneak peek of my new album, African American, that's coming out soon, you want to get down to the Dean Dean D. This Saturday, the Collective Seattle, we got DJ Lace Cadence, who's going to be spinning Afrobeat music. It's going to be a complete vibe. Food is provided by Mojito. It's just going to be a beautiful time. Oh, and it's free. So if you if you go to my wall right now on Facebook or Instagram, I have the link to the Dean Dindi. You just RSVP there and it's free. So it should be a great time. Free food. Um, now you're gonna have to buy your own drink if that's what you want to do, but you <laughs> we're gonna provide some food for you at the very least. Well, I'm gonna say that uh, uh, your daughter and my 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 granddaughter, my adopted granddaughter, mm-hmm. uh, just so proud of her to get that call from her on Father's Day, and she was in Chicago, mm-hmm. and I remember taking that girl to Skyway Christian Center, to Birchie, yeah. taking a lunch to Saint Therese. Matter of fact, I took a lunch to Birchie too. And the Garfield. And before I know it, boy, she had, hey, Yasha, do you think your papa will spring for some more? <laughs> and she was treating four or five, but I want her to make sure. And so she's ready to open her own shop or just open her own shop. And yes. that's great. Nothing but success in that family. Yes, her the name of her shop is Nourish. It's going to be on Melrose. It's a beautiful, she's an esthetician. So if ladies, if you're ever in LA and fellas, and you want to get a wax, get a facial or whatever. I know I got to get mine, Papa. You got to get yours too. She don't make us both get, we both got to get facials. So figure it out, man. You should get you right. Well, when I get down there, I'm going to sure visit the shop. You know that I'm proud of that young lady. And I also want to, I know, uh, uh, Larry Williams, a grandfather, I know he's real proud too, mm-hmm. as well as a grandmother, and also uh, Janae Punkin. I know she's real pleased with everything. So uh, thank you very much, brother. I hope to see you Saturday. But you know, I'll be barbecuing for the fourth, so I'm gonna see where I am. Hope I'm not up to my elbows and smoking stuff. But anyway, whatever. You know you I, do, love us. I know you love me, man. It's good. I know you love me. It's all good. You know what I mean? Chill out. We might, I might come grab a plate or something, you know? And you know, I'll definitely have two or three plates ready for you, brother. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Uh, Dre's, we appreciate you and continued success to you. Thank you. Okay, uh, Eric, I want to give a shout out to my supporters, the City of South's Purchasing and Construction Services Office with uh, Liz Alzier, uh, Sound Transit Civil Rights, Office of Civil Rights, Diversity and Inclusion. Uh, the boss is John Tay Robinson. Uh, the Port of Seattle's uh, Diversity Contracting Office. Uh, me and Rice is in charge working with Lawrence and Josie. And uh, once again, uh, please pick up the facts newspaper and read about the distinguished career of uh, Joe Staten, uh, who passed away suddenly on the 20th. And uh, he will be funeralized on July 30th. It will be at Mount Zion Baptist Church. Uh, and we'll come up with the time a little later, but I do want people to read about him and also extend condolences to the family of uh, Brenda Ann Frost and to her children, uh, 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 Lavelle, uh, Omar, uh, Jamil Frost, and uh, also to uh, uh, Frank Taylor, her husband. So that uh, she will be funeralized on Saturday, July 2nd, uh, 2022. That will be at uh, 10 o'clock a.m. Uh, at uh, the church in Federal Way. And I'm trying to find that it's at the uh, Christ the King Bible Fellowship, 35448 11th Avenue Southwest in Federal Way. And I want to thank Eric for finding that music, that rap by, by Dre's. And we'll talk with you again next week. Thanks, Eric. Have a good weekend. <laughs>